Ben, it's good to be with you. This is our first podcast together. That's right. First of many, I hope. I'm looking forward to it. Well, today we're going to talk about Advent. And many people who have been around the church have heard the word Advent, and we, we basically know what it might mean. But today we want to explore that a little more fully. Mm-hmm. But let's start at the top. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, what is Advent? If someone asks you that question, how would you speak to that? Yeah, I think Advent is, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Mm-hmm. And so it it comes from this place of waiting for the coming of Jesus. Mm. And so we now, of course, we celebrate it leading up to Christmas when Jesus comes, uh, God in, in flesh comes. And yet it also reminds us of our waiting here and now for Jesus to come again mm. um, and to make all things new and to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so there's something about the fact that the church has set up in its calendar a season for waiting mm. and anticipation and groaning and longing and actually uh, validates that as a part of the Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating to me, even in hearing you say that, as we we see the story of Scripture and the story of the people of God, even we in this uh, time period where the Jesus has brought the kingdom, it's inaugurated, we're still waiting. And so even after Messiah comes, which is what Christmas is celebrating, we still too find our ourselves in this period of waiting, which which the Bible isn't surprised by. That's right. Yeah. And what it helps with is we we can really resonate with a lot of the the people of God mm. throughout the ages because Israel, of course, found themselves waiting. Yeah. Uh, especially when they were in Egypt or when they were in exile. They were mm. waiting for their God to show up and to do something unexpected, uh, but yet promised. Yeah. And so one of my favorite glimpses into Israel's life of waiting is from Psalm 130. Uh, This psalm is probably a late psalm, which means that Israel is probably in exile Mm -hmm. and and praying the psalm, expecting that God would one day come and redeem Mm -hmm. Israel from all his iniquities. And so Psalm 130 is really at the core, at the heart of the waiting life. Mm. Well, let me read Psalm 130 so everyone can, can hear it in this context. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So good. Yeah, so so as you see that, what are some things that have stuck out to you or to people throughout uh, the generations? Yeah, I counted at least five times where they talked about hope or waiting. And and then there's this really great metaphor right in the middle of, of a watchman waiting for the morning. Mm. And you can just imagine the role of a watchman is to, to be expectantly uh, watching out for potential threat, potential danger, but longing for the morning when the cover of darkness is no longer the threat that it really is. Mm. And the sun rises and and scatters the darkness and really in that scatters all the dangers that could that could come. Yeah. And Maybe this is a spoiler in a sense, but we are in Songs of Messiah, our Advent series now in 2018. 
And in this coming week in Zechariah's prophecy, he speaks exactly to that. The, the coming of the Messiah is uh, the sun rising, mm-hmm. which, is a, which is a beautiful image. That's right. So if we, if we think about this imagery of the watchman, what does his waiting or waiting in general bring out in us as we pay attention to the way it's described and the way we're taught in the scriptures? Yeah. Well, I think it is worth starting with waiting is hard. Mm. We, we can all recognize that, whether you're waiting for the grocery line or whether you're waiting for uh, your Netflix to stop buffering. Waiting is not easy, <laughs> right? Yeah, especially uh, but, that one. Especially that one. But these are obviously simple examples. Uh, waiting for uh, results, diagnosis results, mm. um, waiting for uh, a pregnancy, waiting for your your single and your your anticipating hoping waiting for potentially being married one day yeah um it's hard and it hurts and one of my favorite helps uh quotes that kind of reframes waiting for me is by uh, augustine of hippo he says it is yearning that makes the heart deep mm. it is yearning that makes the heart deep and what i like about that is is we all know what yearning feels like what longing what groaning and and desiring something and he says it has this deepening effect on our hearts. Mm. And so when I hear that, uh, it gives me help for when I, when I meet somebody who I experience as being fairly shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, my assumption, given what Augustine's saying here, is that they've not allowed themselves to yearn. Yeah, They've not longed. They've not waited. And, and, and they've done things to avoid the pain that comes mm. along with yearning. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, those, those of us who know people are who are deep and you're in their presence and there's this depth of person and there's this depth of character to them. Mm-hmm. You could probably imagine they've experienced some seasons of waiting, yeah. of yearning, of longing for for expectations to be met and to be filled. Yeah. I find it interesting the way you started and then expounded upon, you said those people who you may experience as shallow haven't allowed themselves to experience yearning. Because what it what it reminds me of is that all of us constantly are presented with opportunities to experience yearning, Mm -hmm. but it is a, while it has this deepening effect and it, and it finds its place in a fallen world, even amidst the people of God, as we just read in Psalm 130 and we could go other places while, while we would expect it. And while we all have opportunity to experience it, it, it's so painful that there are many of us who maybe are intimidated or have uh, by 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 letting that experience in, or maybe we don't know how to engage it. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think that's true. I think to your point, we all have opportunities to wait, mm-hmm. uh, whether they be as simple and subtle as the ones we began with. Uh, you're you're waiting at a traffic light, right? Yeah. There's a there's an ex- experience of waiting there, and uh, and I think what happens is that we distract ourselves. Yeah, that's, right. It's one of the ways we avoid waiting that's is good. is through distraction. And so I am guilty of this. I, I I can recall it kind of dawning on me that I was listening to a podcast driving in my in my truck, and I stopped at a traffic light. And just those thirty seconds, I pulled out my phone and began flipping through Instagram mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there's something about that waiting that is almost unbearable to me. Yeah. And so the way that I think this matters is because I think that God works on us in the waiting. Mm. And and so I, I really think that we actually avoid God's work in our life mm-hmm. when we refuse to wait. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I certainly experience my own, in my own way those things. I think that when we read Psalm 130, 
we also can imagine large events, large opportunities where we have to wait for God to work on us, which are really important. And yet, like many other virtues and, and ways in which God is forming us and shaping us, a lot of the work is done and opportunity for the work to be done is in those mm. small steps, the, the, the traffic light, mm-hmm. the grocery line, the, the buffering. And maybe people can scoff at that or, or mock that, uh, but, but certainly those are, are things that add up to the type of deepening mm-hmm. um, that prepares us for these larger opportunities in life that many of us, our mind goes to. Yeah, that's right. So we've, we've talked a little bit about some common experiences we have, and I'm under the impression, or I'm making an assumption here, that, that there are some unique challenges to waiting in our society, maybe unique in the history of human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be curious to hear from you. What do you think some of those challenges in our society are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are many ways that we could speak to this, but I think one of the ways that comes to mind immediately is something that you've already uh, nodded to, which is the, the use of technology. Uh, in our world or the presence of a certain type of technology. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the reality is our worldview, at least people in my generation and many of the people who will be listening to this podcast, what we're used to is this worldview and experience and life of constant progress mm-hmm. and now, mm-hmm. right? That everything is always up and to the right. And that that could go in different venues of life, but one could be we we always just sort of expect that there's there's always a new drug being worked on right now that we'll we'll have when we need it, mm-hmm. or there's always a new technology that will that will solve our problems or our deepest longings now. And uh, frankly, I think that this has been mostly true in my life up to date. And I think that you know my senses as I read and reflect and listen to people that that's not unique. I think a lot of people have experienced this, but this really is unique to our current situation. It's sort of a blip on the, on the radar in human history with, with antibiotics and modern medicine, just to use an example, being really, really young Mm -hmm. uh, in the scope of human history, Mm -hmm. at least the way that we experience it now. And I I think that uh, what this has done is sort of, it breeds a sort of vicious allergy to any delayed gratification or, or anything that doesn't feel good or comfortable. And it could be as simple as you said, that, that experience of 30 seconds at the stoplight. It doesn't feel good. Sort of, uh, we, we've been interrupted, right? We're going somewhere and the, the light turns red and we're, we're not okay with that. And so we, we distract ourselves. And I think what that is a small example and other expectations that we've experienced in our culture, again, through technology, mainly is what this does is I think it uniquely blunts our ability to hope mm. in a biblical, in the biblical sense to, to wait the waiting that's required in, in biblical hope, because I think hope biblically is different than a, a sort of optimism mm. that is very popular and it's not all bad, but it, it is different. Biblical hope is different than optimism because as I've heard it said, I think uh, what optimism is, is able to do is look at pieces in a broken situation that currently look bleak, but then engage your imagination based on those pieces and create a scenario in your mind that looks better mm-hmm. and then work to bring it about or just have some type of sense or inclination that it will come about. And that's mm-hmm. usually when we say to a person, you're so optimistic because if you're pessimistic and I am optimistic, we're both looking at the same pieces. Mm-hmm. 
but you're able to imagine a way in which they can all come together for good. Mm-hmm. And, and I may be less inclined to do that. And so we, we talk about our persons being pessimists or, or optimists, but glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. That's that type of thing. And so, but biblical hope, um, frankly, we see so many examples of the watchman in pitch black can see nothing. And yet there is hope. And the reason is, is because biblically hope is looking to the character of God and, and his trustworthiness and waiting upon him. And so hope is a, a feeling of anticipating a future uh, that's better than the present, but not based necessarily on, on what you can see, but based on who you know God to be and who he's been revealed to be mm. through his word. And so I think that's where I get this this notion of God's past faithfulness. So I think I think those are some ways, um, at least maybe one way in expounding upon one way, that there are unique challenges in, in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. And it seems to me that our culture has kind of almost substituted, and we've believed it, we've taken it, substituted an, an optimism for biblical hope. Yeah. And I think that's a, a helpful way to put it. I've often thought about how often hope in in the Bible, I'm particularly thinking about Romans 8, is connected with this concept of groaning. Mm. And and the whole creation is groaning, and we ourselves are groaning, and even the Holy Spirit is is groaning in us. Uh, All of it is groaning in hope, Mm. waiting for Jesus to come and make all things new. Mm. And so there's this expectancy. We really believe he's coming. Yeah. And yet here and now we feel the the effects of his delay. Uh. And and so this groaning is kind of the uh, the existential or the inner experience of hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I'm helped by uh Simone Weil. She's a she was a French philosopher and a social activist and she said waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. Wow. When somebody ever says a, a really dramatic, like, this is the foundation of the spiritual life, my ears perk up. I want to hear what they're going to say there. Yeah. And for her to say, waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life, it makes me want to listen. Mm. And so if, if that's true, uh, then how do we wait? Yeah. What does waiting actually look like yeah, that's practically? Mm-hmm. Are you asking me? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. I think uh, you and I talked before the podcast started. You, you talked about John Owen's commentary on Psalm 130, which, we've, which we read. Can you remind me how many pages that is again? Yeah, it was like 220 or something. On, those on eight verses? On eight verses. You got it. That's, the Puritan. That, okay, well. It's kind of what, some, they, that's what they did. There's something there. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about... Uh, to, to modernize his language a little bit, we talked about the fact that uh, we wait in quietness, but but not worry. And so this, what this might be experienced as is, is a stillness, uh, not necessarily a fretful mind, which would be more connected with worry um, or, or troubled and, and anxious heart. But as Psalm 62 says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And so there's this, there's this quietness almost confidently that that doesn't give way to worry mm. or 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 anxiousness it reminds me of the end of psalm 46 when it says be still and know that i am god mm. um, which i think to some extent is even drawing from uh, the exodus right when 
when Israel has been led out of Egypt and they're at, they've got the Red Sea in front of them and they've got Pharaoh and his armies behind them Mm. and they don't know what to do because they're really hemmed in on both sides with danger and disaster. And, And Moses goes to the Lord with it and he says, you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. Mm. And I just think about that, that this reminds me of this kind of quietness without worry. Mm. Um, you have only to be still. The Lord will fight your battles for you. Yeah. And yet, uh, John Owen goes on because we could take that and interpret it as a, of a passivity, right? Yeah. I was actually about to ask you that question. Almost along the lines of let go and let God. Right. 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 And there's... And there's enough truth in that, but it's just not the whole truth. Yeah, yeah. And so John Owen goes on and he says, uh, not only are we to wait in quietness and not in worry, but we're to, we're to wait diligently, not slothfully. Yeah. And so what he means by this is we aren't passive. We aren't lethargic. We aren't just kind of laying around expecting God to do something, to show up, to make something happen. Mm-hmm. But we're actually engaging the very means that God has given to us to uh, experience his presence and his grace. Mm. Um, I'm particularly thinking of what we would call the means of grace, his, yeah. uh, meditating on scripture and in, in prayer and engaging in community and thoughtful conversations where we're being known and loved and uh, joining together with our, our brothers and sisters in corporate worship every Sunday and mm. and even joining into the, the calendar, the liturgical calendar of the church like Advent and groaning and waiting and longing together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm helped by that because yeah. he says... Waiting isn't passivity. There's a diligence to it. It's not just slothful. Yeah. And I'm reminded of a few weeks ago when we were finishing up our Ephesians series. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has this famous passage on spiritual warfare, and he, and he uses all this imagery. And one of the illustrations or applications that I, I made, I, I drew from, uh, from a Puritan as well. And, and he has, uh, again, Puritan, we wrote 160 pages or so, a small pamphlet of how to help people fight Satan's devices, essentially. Mm. But one of the things that he says in there that I brought into the sermon was that Satan in his strategy or his schemes tends to come at us when we are waiting upon the Lord, mm. because it seems as though in his reflection, and I, and I think in my experience, this is true, and my guess is others would resonate with this as well, that we are vulnerable, maybe in, in a unique way, when we're waiting and have been waiting for some time upon the Lord. And so how do we then combat the lies, the flaming darts of the evil one? Well, we, we do what he says, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, and, and one of the things that he says is we have this sword, uh, uh, which is the word. Mm. And uh, I had mentioned that it's not one of those long epic looking swords. It's actually the Greek word for almost like a dagger. It's a Mm. short sword. And so this is insinuating that this is an up close fight. In fact, when he says we do not wrestle only against flesh and blood Mm. in verse 12, that word wrestle is denoting this is like hand to hand combat. Mm. This is a knife fight basically when Mm. you put it all together. And I find it crucial then that, that we don't just wait with quietness, uh, but we also, as you just mentioned, we, we engage what God has given us. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that we see that modeled in Jesus's life, and we certainly see that modeled in, in the saints of old. Mm. That's helpful. Even Owen gives us this image, this picture of, of waiting is like sailors who are at sea. Huh. And you think about all of, the, uh, all of the difficulties of being a sailor at sea, especially caught up in a storm where 
the wind and the waves are out of your control and you're heading towards home, you're heading towards your port, right? You're heading towards safe harbor. And yet while you're on the journey, you've got lots of tools. You've got a compass, you've got a map, you've got the stars, you've mm. got all of these things that God has given to us mm. to engage That's good. in that waiting, in that journey from here to harbor. And and so I'm helped by that, even that image, that it's metaphor yeah. of sailors at sea. Yeah. And Owen gives us a third way to wait. Mm. He talks to about how we wait with expectancy, mm. not despair. And so we talked a little bit about um, the difference or maybe even the ways that we would talk about expectancy versus expectations. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that? Yeah, well, I think that, I guess they're related in my mind. We had talked about this, that uh, expectancy is this a general disposition, in this case, towards the Lord, where we, based on his character and his faithfulness, can always be expectant. And and yet, there's a sense in which uh, we should have expectations mm. upon the Lord because mm-hmm. he has revealed himself. He wants to be known. He can be known. He's told us what he's committed to, and he, we are in covenant relationship with him. So we can absolutely expect things. But I think that there are times when when I, and I think we have expectations that almost demand a specific way of acting. And so I can be expectant and even have expectations that the Lord is my rock, that he is and will be my refuge and strength, that he is is for me, he's committed to me, that everything I'm experiencing, he is working for good so that he can complete the work that is in me, even when, when I'm confused as to how this is coming about. And so I can and should have those expectations. But as soon as those sort of move into a, uh, I am now demanding, or my expectations have turned to an entitlement of, I know best how the Lord ought to act, I think that's when we can get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And in my own life, when I experience that, um, it doesn't go well for me. Mm. And I know that there's something, there's some misfiring in my heart, or to use a different metaphor, maybe there's there's some ways in which I have begun to believe the lie that I um, have have more wisdom than God, mm. right? All the way back to the garden, that somehow my perspective is the perspective and that I know what's best. So as soon as as soon as my expectancy and my expectations move into entitlement or move into a preciseness, a, a, a belief that I know exactly what is best because of my wisdom, I think that's where we get in, into trouble. And and frankly, I think that would have to lead to despair to pick up back on Owen because mm-hmm. because ultimately we will our own wisdom uh, will will fail us. And if that is what we're trusting in, it it will lead to despair. Yeah, that's helpful. It's helpful to think about expectancy being a good thing mm-hmm. in that if I were to throw a birthday party and uh, and I invited you to come, Damien. And Thank you. You're, you're welcome. And uh, and I invited you to come and, and you said, yeah, I'll be there. I'm excited. And then you walk in the door of the party and I look at you almost in this incredulous look of surprise. And I was like, you're here. And you're like, well, yeah, I told you I'd be there. Yeah. You'd be offended, right? There'd be this sense of like, don't you believe what I say? Don't yes. you take yeah, me at that's my good. word? That's good. Right? And and so there's this sense of expectancy that you would fulfill your word, that you'd come through on what you've said. Yeah. Actually honors, actually 
I mean, to change it actually glorifies God when we take his word seriously. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And it reminds me then of Psalm 130 where we began because mm-hmm. the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word mm-hmm. I hope. Mm-hmm. It's it's that God loves to be held to his word. Mm-hmm. Uh, he He's honored when we take his promises and we bring them before him. We say, you said. Yeah. Now come through on what you've said. Yeah. And yeah. and I think that that's probably uh, a good way to thread the needle between expectancy and, un- uh, how would I say this, expectancy and unrealistic expectations. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and in my my life, I would say that the gap between expectations and experience is probably what makes waiting so difficult, mm. right? There's this, I have expectations of how things ought to be or how I want yeah. them to be or how I'd like them to be. But this is my experience, and it's much lower than where my expectations are. And that gap is where pain is. That's where doubt occurs. That's where waiting becomes difficult. Mm. And so I think that as we've talked about Advent, um, that gap's not always wrong. Mm-hmm. That gap's not always bad. In fact, uh, leaning in and embracing that gap is actually part of this season mm. of the church's calendar. Yeah. And I think that's a great way way to end and, and, summar- and summarize in that uh, Advent is a season where we are invited to deepening, right? We're invited to to recognize those areas where we may blunt the opportunity um, to experience groaning and, mm. and longing. Um, and because things are so, we're so dis- predisposed to that, we get to lean on the wisdom of the church, of the church fathers and the church calendar that we've inherited. And, and we get to uh, grow and deepen in this way. Mm. So thank you for this conversation. I, I hope it's been encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to others who listen. Yeah. Me too. Thank you.